You ever try to bargain with God? You know, hey God, if you just get me out of this one, I promise I will always. Or I promise I will never. Well, why? You can stop bargaining and start trusting in the one that's already given you what you need. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church, a church for all generations. This is Pastor Jason. I hope that however and wherever you're listening, that you feel God's blessings today. Well, before we jump into our sermon for this week, I just want to remind you, if you're listening in real time, we have a youth fundraiser, that's F-U-N fun, uh, but also fundraiser going on this Saturday, May 19th from 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, here at the church. If you would love to come and to support our teenagers, we would love to have you. And so basically, this fundraiser is going to be supporting two of our uh, trips that our teenagers take this summer. They pay uh, a lot of money to go on these trips. And so we want to help offset the cost because we believe our teenagers are worth it. We have our Bell Tour, which is going to Toronto, and our mission trip, which is going to upstate New York, where they're going to help repair about 70 homes in a week. They're going to team up with 400 other kids from across the country uh, to do this work, and we are so excited to support them. And this would be a fun way to support them, is to have this fundraiser event. So there's going to be uh, some silent auction items. There's going to be uh, some light refreshments and an opportunity to share a blessing for our kids before they go on their trip. So again, if you're listening in real time, we hope that you join us. And now uh, we turn to our starting point series as uh, we're getting ready to tie a bow on the series. We're really looking at, I mean, what does it mean? What does it mean to have an adult starting point of faith? How do we answer the question, who is Jesus? And so without any further ado, here is our next episode of Starting Point. Have a great week, everyone. Well, welcome. If you are just joining us now, we're in the middle of the Starting Point series uh, that the whole premise is very simple. It's most of us, we were raised with a, a framework of faith that was given to us usually by our parents. May not have been, may have been by grandparents or somebody else in your family, but that faith started and maybe you went to Sunday school, maybe you didn't, and maybe you learned some Bible stories, but you had a basic understanding of God. And the problem is, for if you're like most people, that understanding of God never really outgrew that framework that you received as a child. And so then the problem comes when you as an adult are living your adult-sized life and all of a sudden the faith of your childhood doesn't answer those questions that you have as an adult and your faith breaks down. Or maybe you leave the church. Maybe you go away for a while. Maybe this is you coming back now. This, it, it, the premise is there's a starting point for everything and we need to have not just a childhood starting point but an adult starting point of our faith as well. And the adult starting point of our faith is a question. I believe it's a question. Who is Jesus? You see, if our faith is simply based on information about God, like we know the Old Testament Bible stories, and we know um, all those things about God, we know a lot of information. And maybe you know this because you went to church your whole life. You have a lot of information about God. The problem is, just because you have a lot of information about God doesn't mean that you know God at all. Like if I do a search for you on Wikipedia, and all the information's there, which is true because it's on the internet, it doesn't mean that I know you as a person. 
Those are two very different things. And for many people, we're trying to live our adult life based on information about God that doesn't seem to translate to our everyday problems. Instead, it takes a relationship with God. And this is a relational question. Not what is Jesus, who is Jesus? Because if we answer this question, it takes the shape of our entire adult faith moving forward. Was he a good teacher? Was he a really nice guy? Was he... Uh, a crazy person in the desert. Who was he? Was he a figment of ancient Near East imagination? Who was he? Or was he the Messiah? Was he the one who came to set us all free? Is he the one uh, who is who he says he is? That he is the I am. So that's what this series is all about. If you want to get caught up, you can always go online to towerhillchurch.org. You can find under the messages, find all the ones in this series. But that basically sums it up. So who is Jesus? And today, of course, we're talking about moms. And I, I remember, man, when I look back at my mom, now unfortunately I lost her at a very young age, but I, I didn't know how good I had it. Because every day when I was getting ready for school, my lunch was made. You see, now, wouldn't that be awesome if just people just made your lunch? <laughs> just the rest of your life. They just, it just happened magically. I don't recall saying thank you to my mother a whole lot for making my lunch every day. And she would make sure that my lunch was healthy and it was, you know, had some variety and, you know, I was all set for school. But sometimes mom felt a little bit of a rut and I'd get like the same thing for a number, you know, We're doing PBJ and we're doing baby carrots and we're doing, at least, come on, mom, give me the Capri Sun. Just come on, just come on, just put it in. Don't think, don't think, just put it in the lunchbox, right? Although sometimes you would get a treat too, like a special and you'd be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's where it's at. But, but then you had a dilemma in the lunchroom, at least I did. I'd be like, I have this awesome treat, but now I have some bargaining power at the lunch table. I could get kids to do what I want them to do. Doesn't say anything about my personality. (laughs) And the greatest thing that you could possibly bring in my day to in your lunchbox would be the Twinkie. Behold. (laughs) Behold the Twinkie in all of its glory. It is literally, if you hand me that now, I'd probably throw up if I took a bite. It's just like, I know too much. I was just blissfully ignorant back then. Anyway, there was this kid. I don't remember his name, but what I do remember about him is that he had a Twinkie in his lunch almost every day. So you know what that made him? King of the cafeteria. I mean, listen, even the cop from Die Hard knows that Twinkies are good, right? Come on, shoot that picture up there. There you go. You remember him? Twinkies. Twinkies are awesome. Okay, so king of the cafeteria. Go ahead and put that up. King of the cafeteria. And the reason is because of the negotiation. Every day we spent, this poor kid, every day we spent just trying to part him from his Twinkie in an elaborate series of negotiations that would get very, very creative. So you'd get like baseball cards, right? That was, that was kind of the easy, that was the low-hanging fruit. But then you'd get really creative. You'd be like, how do I convince this kid to take my baby carrots and give me his Twinkie. I'd be like, I'll, I'll give you the baby carrots. 
And when we're playing kickball, I'm going to roll it just like you like it when you're up. <laughs> right? No big bouncies, baby bouncies. All right? I'm going to set you up. And the negotiations would go on and on. And this kid, he'd get favors done. He'd get homework done. All because he had the elusive Twinkie. Now, if you're like most people, you, a time or two, have approached God like he's the kid with the Twinkie. And it's all about negotiating with God what you want by offering stuff. You're trying to convince God that he's going to take your baby carrots and your empty promises. Right? So, so your prayers might go something like this. God, if you will, I promise I'll never. Or I'll always. God, if you just get me out of this. God, if you just show up in this area. God, if, if you could just do this, then I will for you never do this. Or yes, I will do this. It's like, how can I get God to part with the Twinkie? See, here's the thing. Every religious system fosters the negotiate with God mentality. Except for the one where like the religion actually says there's no absolutes. So there's that one. Okay. Most religions have a negotiate with God mentality. In other words, this is what it is. You, prom- you make promises to God and God will might, may or may not give you the Twinkie. In other words, he will give you what you want. He will give you your forgiveness. He will give you your salvation. He will give you your status if you can convince him to do that based on your actions. And so it's like, God, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to work my way up and I'm, I'm going to do this thing for you so that you're going to be happy with me. I'm going to earn my way into your good graces. But this is not the Christian faith. This is the opposite of what the Christian faith says. And yet, why do churches still act like it's this way? That we're all trying to earn our way to God. You know what I'm talking about. You've been to churches like this. Where it feels like if you don't do X, Y, and Z, then you're not going to get, you're not going to have a relationship with God. It's based on your actions. That is not the Christian faith. It is not the gospel at all. Not even a little. It's not the gospel. But somehow we have trained ourselves to think that in this transactional way with God. And it's ridiculous. Why? Because God does not negotiate. Tommy Lee Jones, a fugitive. I don't bargain. Why? Why doesn't God bargain? Because he doesn't need anything from you. Bargaining with God assumes you have something he needs. Well, I could use some baby carrots. (laughs) I could use those empty promises. (laughs) Right? I could use those things. Sure, sure, sure. You are forgiven. That's my fake God voice. (laughs) He doesn't want something from you. That's not what this is all about. He doesn't want your obedience because somehow it it makes him like better or he finally has that thing that he always wanted. It's not that. 
Obedience matters, but we're going to get to that later. It's for a different reason. You don't have something that God needs. Instead, God wants something for you. You can stop negotiating with God. He already wants to pack the Twinkie in your lunch every day. You could stop negotiating. He already wants to forgive you. Let's jump into our scripture today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Sums up this idea of grace versus negotiation. Here's what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now that's, that's a thought that our culture does not like to hear. I think it's fair to say we live in an entitlement culture. Everybody gets a trophy. Go get what you deserve. Right? Work for it. Work for it. But get what you deserve. You deserve this. Treat yourself. You deserve it. Go get it. Go grab it. Go get what you deserve. What do I deserve? Anything you want. You deserve it. It's an entitlement culture. Entitlement culture does not like to hear, you were dead in your transgressions. You were objects of wrath. Not about, you, you deserved nothing. You deserved nothing. And actually, you deserved, you deserved to stay dead in those transgressions and sins, according to God. You deserve, that's what you deserved. And that's a hard thing. Listen, to understand how beautiful the grace of God is, you have to understand how bad it is without it. There's no other way. You have to understand that we were all, all of us, by nature deserving of wrath. Verse 4, but. What does that word mean in a sentence? It's, but there's something else. There's another ending to this. The thought continues. It doesn't stop that we were just deserving of wrath. He keeps going. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Man, I love that. You know why I love that? Because it's not, he made us alive in Christ when we all finally got our act together. He made us alive in Christ when we finally went to church more. When we finally started giving more. When our attendance went up. When we were a little more generous to the poor. When we loved our family a little bit more, even when it was hard. That's when he made us alive in Christ. When we volunteered more. No, that's not what it says at all. Because it's not based on what we do. He says... He made us alive when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, that's why the riches of his grace are so incomparable. I like saying that instead of incomparable. I don't know why. Incomparable. That those riches do not compare. Why? Because we were all dead in our transgression. Because we all deserve something much worse. And Jesus stepped in on our behalf. And he took the penalty upon himself. I, you know, people have said before, well, grace is, how can grace be free? It's, I don't get it. It seems too easy. There was nothing easy about it. God hanging on the cross for your sins. But he did that so that you might receive it. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. It came at the greatest cost imaginable. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For, and if you brought your Bible, this is a highlight verse coming up. This is one like everybody should have this thing highlighted. May, you may want to put it on your wall somewhere. Some kind of fancy, nice looking thing that people do. You know what I'm saying. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. Here's the bottom line. Your obedience is not a bargaining chip in your relationship with God. That's not how it works. I'm here to tell you, you can be free of that way of thinking because this way of thinking is exhausting. It's like, oh my gosh, have I done enough? Have I done enough to get in good with God? Have I done enough so that he's not going to be mad at me? He's not going to smite me. He's not going to mess up my plans. He's not going to do something to punish me. Get rid of that. That is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. You see, what other religions might do is, other religions would say this. They would say it's about what you do. Here, here's some things you must do to get yourself right with God. List, 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 check, check, check. Jesus says, no, it's not about what you do. It is done. I did it. I did the work for you. Religion says do. Jesus says it's done. Because here's the thing. God doesn't want your carrots and your empty promises. (laughs) Right? That's not what he wants. So you might ask, okay, well then why does, does behavior matter? Can I just do whatever I want? Well, you can, but but if you love Jesus, you're not going to want to do whatever you want. You're going to want to do what he wants. That's the real secret to living a vibrant faith is you're living that faith because it's what God wants. Why? God wants you to live a certain way so that you can live into the fullness of what he created you to be. He's in the business of making you flourish. And you know what else he's in the business of doing? Showing other people what a flourishing life looks like so they could come to him. That's why it matters what we do. But it's not earning our way to Jesus. It's the opposite. 
Jesus earned it for me, and so I'm so thankful. I want to live in obedience to him. Grace is unmerited favor. Not something that we earn. Okay, back to our question. Our starting point question, who is Jesus? Well, I think according to what Paul says in Ephesians, I think a couple of things. The first is, he is the one who shows us the incomparable riches of God's grace. It is Jesus who shows us God's heart. What, who, what's God's heart? To save everybody. To, that he is rich in mercy. We deserve wrath, but he wants to give us life. He wants to make us alive. That is how we see the kindness, the goodness, the incomparable riches of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And then the second is, he saves us based on his actions, not our bargaining. So here's what I think the Christian mindset should be. This is how I live my life of faith. I could stop bargaining with God and start living my life with gratitude. I obey because I want to. That's what the Christian life is all about. That I am so overjoyed with what God has done for me that I'm going to share that with everybody in my life. The way that I live my life, I want to live for God because he died for me. That, I believe, is the starting point. 